0: He uh, entered to the mosque in Ramadan, in Ramadan month, and he opened the uh, his machine gun to uh, to the uh, prayers who were praying. You know that we are, according to the Israeli law, we are <clears throat> nowadays we are not allowed to have uh, any scholar who wants to come and teach in Palestinian university. They are not allowed. They say no, but your your name is is has an Arabic origin. You know that since the seventh of October, all the Palestinian universities they close their uh, gates. They close. I mean, we are like in big cages, and uh, the decision to open or to close this is uh, is not in our hands. Coming to the university every day, it's like a real adventure for some of these students, and they have to pay a lot. So she say, "I'm sorry, I cannot continue. I have to save this money." For my brothers and sisters who are actually waiting at home, to, we, we, have, um, we have students who have got enough education in the field of genetics, genomics, uh, um, data analysis, programming in different languages. I think there are um, many things that we can do together with the CRG, like um, collaboration in research, collaboration in teaching, training, and also exchange of students.
1: Today we have a very special guest. Our guest is uh, Doctor Jacob or Jacob or Jacobu or in Arabic Jacob. Alashab. Our guest today got his uh, first degree from uh, Turkey, actually, and then he got his master's from the university, uh, from the UAB, Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona, and he got the PhD from there as well. However, our guest today is a Palestinian doctor. After he got his PhD, he worked for the Hebrew University in Jerusalem for a while, as well as being an uh, bioinformatician for uh, Novartis. Now he is teaching in the uh, Palestinian Polytechnique University, as well as lecturing in four of the six universities in the West Bank now. besides, he is a visiting lecturer for the university, uh, Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona, UEB. So we might see him anytime soon when he is giving a lecture after... Uh, situation eases up a bit. Uh, Dr. Uh, Yaqub. Dr. Yaqub, thank you very much for being here.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Hossam, for inviting me for, for this special meeting. Thank you.
1: So such an interesting journey. Is it uh, that common and that easy for every Palestinian to go abroad and learn uh, in the UAB and before that in Turkey?
0: Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for this uh, uh, nice introduction, and uh, actually, just remind me with the, with the journey. I mean, I, I was just forgetting all these stages in my life. But you know, um, to be honest, is it uh, the in, in the in the eighties and the nineties, uh, the, the, the Palestinians were suffering a lot to uh, to travel outside and to be able to continue their uh, higher education. And I remember the first time I traveled, I was uh, 18 years old, I traveled to Jordan. And at that time I had, uh, it was in 86, 85, 86. And there were two choices, either to have a permission for uh, one month and you, cannot, you are not allowed to come back after one month. And then the next time you can apply for this type of permission is almost one year. Or there was another option. You have to have a permission that is called one-year duration permission. Uh, all the permissions you have to apply and to have them from the uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Israel military uh, authority. At that time, they were actually like an occupation authority authority. Taking, taking the role of taking, I mean, of of the West Bank at that time there was there was no Palestinian authority. So uh, and if you if you ask for the first one you have to you cannot ask for another permission until one year passes and the second one is one year you cannot you cannot come back. And in case you have any let's say urgent situation and you have to come back, you have one of your let's say relatives in need of you or your mom or your dad you cannot come back so at that time I decided to uh, to continue my studies in Turkey because you know uh, Palestinian universities in the 70s and the 80s they were at the very early uh, in, the, in their infancy I mean period they were just starting and there were no many uh, let's say specialties or faculties there were just few universities and they were only focusing on uh, social sciences and there were no for example medical schools no science there were maybe one or or engineering there were no engineering so i decided to go outside and uh, i decided to go to turkey to ankara to middle east technical university and at that time i remember uh, i could not come back three continuous years and i was young at that time and my dad and mom uh they could not i mean we have to wait for three years to see each other and that time there was uh, you know there were no uh connection meet i mean tools like these days i mean i i could only talk to them uh every three or four months uh, through some you know uh telephones in the streets because we had uh no telephone at, at the dormitories and uh you know, during from from three months from one talk to another, let's say call, I don't have any idea what's happening in in Palestine, what's happening in my homeland, and you know you have you have to wait. And I remember we used to sometimes to uh, to exchange. I mean, I used to write to them because at that time my they were very old, and I just wrote to them sometimes and share with them some photos. And usually they have to wait like a few months to have the the letters, the old style of... Something. I mean, they were very nice type of, very nice style of communicating. You know, nowadays, uh, you cannot stay for more than two hours to to see your your uh, daughter or your son who is in the United States. I mean, you have to follow up. I think the, the life has changed a lot. And, uh, well, my journey in Turkey was... Uh, very interesting because uh, I learned Turkish. Although the university I studied in Turkey, it was uh, an American university. It was English. I mean, they, they taught everything in English. But I decided before having my first uh, uh, academic year, I decided to learn Turkish. The the three levels: the beginner, the middle, and uh, I love the Turkish language. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe one of the things that I like very much in my journey is learning languages because, you know, jumping from one country to another, uh, you have to adapt and you have to learn new language, you have to learn the culture. And um, I think that was uh, one of the, the biggest advantage uh, apart from science. And sometimes I believe that even learning languages and culture is much important than science because science at the end of the day is a profession. But uh, to know how to live and to communicate with people and understand the other cultures is this is our mission in li- in, in this life. I mean, science is something that is a tool to, to to earn your life, but but life is is the communication with people. And, uh, and then I decided to uh, ah, By the way, when, when the decision to go to Spain was a very funny, uh, not funny, but it was a very nice story. You know, after I finished from from Turkey, uh, I came back to Palestine. And, uh, you know, my dad and mom, they were a bit old. And I decided I I cannot leave them. I cannot go outside. So I will be with them. Um, So I I did, uh, I applied for the Hebrew University. uh, That was in 91 for a master's degree in endocrinology. But I I didn't finish that master's degree. And now I will tell you why but during that uh, master i start also learning hebrew and i learn hebrew in a uh, in a very serious manner i mean i i learn it in a way even uh, to to master the the hebrew accent like an ashkenazi jew and you know sometimes they sometimes they uh, they say you you speak like ashkenazi although you are a palestinian you have to you have to reflect your uh, arabic um, on, on the on your accent I say but I learned it like a uh, parrot you know I was in the in in the language school and I just listened to the to the teacher and I repeat so at the end of the day I found that what I learned was not the Hebrew the 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 old Hebrew I learned the Hebrew of the Ashkenazi the those who came from Europe so and you know they are they speak um the standard hebrew but it's funny for the for this Faradi. you ha- they have very strange uh not very strange strange uh letters like the r they say it's like the french french and uh, for these two years that i spent in the university in 91 to 93 or things were okay stable and i was uh, doing well in the university but suddenly uh, we had the the uh the hebron Ibrahimi um, mosque massacre you remember this it was in 94 uh one of the uh, israeli settlers from from a settlement nearby hebron it's called Kiryat arba uh, he uh, entered to the mosque in ramadan in ramadan month and he opened the uh his machine gun to uh, to the uh prayers who were praying and uh, they were um, he killed like uh, I think over 30 of the players and that uh, tragic event changed all my plans because at that time everything changed and the the possibility to to travel and to go to the university was almost uh, uh, dangerous and difficult and you know the things get very complicated and I start thinking okay is it worth to continue doing your studies in uh, uh, with the university with this kind of situation? You have to live, is it worth to live every day in two different cultures? And and I mean, the two different cultures are are actually the uh, opposites. Uh, I would say two enemy cultures or two enemy, let's say, uh, lives in, in your day. So I decided, okay, this is not a uh healthy environment to do my studies or to continue my studies. So uh, I thought of going outside. And at that time I, I also get married. And my wife is a Spaniard by the way. She's uh a Spanish. She's half Spanish, half Palestinian. Her mother is from from Zaragoza. Uh, and uh so and she lives in Hebron uh, And uh, By the way, my mother-in-law, she still speaks um, Spanish very, very well. And when she speaks Arabic, she speaks Arabic with Spanglish, Spanish arabic accent, very funny accent. But, you know, she learned the culture and she is doing very well. So when I decided to go to to outside, uh, my wife said, OK, why we don't uh, go to Spain? This is my homeland and uh, maybe we will find something interesting there. And at that time, you know, during the mid '90s, uh, the the uh, the uh, the Spanish, uh, let's say, uh, environment uh, for um, science and research and uh, PhDs was was uh, was very very promising and was very attractive. And uh, you know, I read one article that was, I think, published in Nature in the in the first few pages in the news about, and they 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 gave gave highlight about the the scientific situation and, the, and the, the research in Spain. And I was very, very uh, attracted by that article. So uh, I said, okay, Spain seems to be a good uh, choice. Although most people at that time, they decided they like to go to United States. But I thought of Spain. And now the question is how to where? And I was very lucky that at that time there was a meeting between the uh, uh, society of uh, the Spanish Society of Immunology uh, and the Israeli Society of Immunology, and it took place in in my university, in Hebrew University. So I had the chance to meet with many um, Spanish uh, immunologists who came in, in at that year, 1994, I think 93, 93 the end of 93, and I met several of them, and I was very um, impressed by, by uh, the the, uh, the quality of work that they are doing. And I was very lucky to meet uh, one guy that I still feel like he's one of the most uh, uh, special person that uh, and special friend and special mentor that I have in my life and I still own too many things to this great guy. Uh, Ricardo Bujol Boré, my uh, supervisor and my mentor. Uh, so I talked to him, and uh, he gave me the opportunity to continue and to do my PhD. So he invited me to Barcelona for one week, and then we decided to continue. And then I did my PhD from '94 to uh, till '98 in the, in la Autònoma, the Barcelona, and. Uh, at that time, I had very great uh, time with many, uh, and you know, Spain is also very nice and very diverse place. And you know, in Catalonia, especially, you have uh, to learn a little bit of Spanish and Catalan. I mean, I decided to learn Spanish because of my family. I mean, with with my family, and uh, but I also decided to uh, to get close to the Catalan language and and uh, Catalan culture. And uh, to be honest, I. I felt that one of the most precious and uh, uh, invaluable uh, things that happened to my life to study in Spain and to to learn and to to have a lot of uh, friends in in Barcelona. Not lots, because you know, when you study in Catalonia and you study, you you it's very difficult to have a, a Catalan friend. They are not easy to have a, a friend with them. But when when you have a friend, Catalan friend he or she will be a friend for for the life they are just great people and you know i had some not very many but few friends that i still uh till now i i we have uh regular uh communications we are visiting each other and and i feel like it is uh it was one of the most important things that happened to my life to learn the the new culture the culture of uh uh Spain, the culture of Catalonia, and you know uh, that gave me also uh, the advantage of uh, learning not only the language and the culture, but also the the society, the food, and you know the the art. You know, the uh, uh, when somebody is asking me, what are the uh, the the specific or let's say uh, the distinguish or the unique things or features that you you find in each of these countries that you have studied in i said that uh, when i studied in turkey for example the turkish they are very uh hard worker tough and they are like you know military they are very like a military mentality and you know you learn the discipline there the uh the the this in Spain, uh, you learn the imagination, the innovation, the very, I mean, uh, creative way of thinking. Um, uh, in 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 the Hebrew University, I mean, the Israel mentality is a bit different. It's public health. I'm sorry, uh, public relation, uh, communication. They are very good in public relation. They are very good in communications. They are very good in talking. I mean, the media is is very powerful tool in, 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 science in Israel, you know, they are very, very, uh, clever and very smart in, in selling their ideas and selling their, uh, what they are doing. Um, and that's it. That was, uh, a very strange journey. And finally, you know, I came back and, uh, I had to, uh, to, start, to think of my family to think of my kids and to to think of my society here so I'm I'm here working for almost more than 14 years and uh, you know I'm I'm happy that I did this uh, this big uh uh transformation uh to, to Palestine although you know I I still have Spanish citizenship and I'm i can can go work, work abroad but i believe that uh, working here is a uh, responsibility and, uh, and helping your people helping the students helping the uh, the, the the university and some hospitals here is a uh, is a um, is the um, uh, you know main duty in life uh,
1: that's a long journey thank you for for sharing it with us so we also know that uh, now in Palestine you you started a lot of initiatives or have been also part in some of them, especially regarding bioinformatics. Can you briefly tell us about these uh, and what is the state of bioinformatics now?
0: Okay, uh, actually, the story of bioinformatics started in uh, with me started in early 90s when I was doing my first master degree in Hebrew University. My supervisor was an old physician, and he wanted me to do something with one of the promoters for the glucose transporter so and i I hated that job I hate it because it contains a lot of radioactivity and you know a lot of cloning for the promoters and cutting the promoter and cutting the enhancers and seeing if it's active or not the was one of the assays that has uh that can you know you can t- test the evaluate the, the 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 activity of the gene so i was just thinking that we can we can do some much easier work by just comparing different genes that have more or less the same activity and we might we might find the enhancer there you know uh, I, I didn't know at that time sequence alignment or multiple sequence alignment i, I just was thinking that was in 91 actually so I proposed the idea to my supervisor, and he said, but, "You know, Yakub, I I have no idea how how you can first of all obtain these these sequences and how you can align how how you can compare them, because the word bioinformatics or alignment was not a, 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 in the daily discussion or the vocabulary of me and him because he was a physician, I was a biologist. So then I decided, okay, I decided to get out of all this cage or this prison of you know the the old fashioned biologists and the clinicians. And I say, okay, let let me see if I can find from literature some sequences or somewhere. And little by little, I start learning that there are databases like the EMBL, like the uh, uh, gene bank. And I start learning that there are some programs. At that time, you know, to make my bioinformatic analysis, I had to travel like 15 kilometers to another (laughs) campus and to work with one computer there in order to make my sequence alignment. And finally, I could uh, prove that the enhancer is there without doing the the, uh, the dirty work in the lab. So that was, you know, a, a good justification not to do the dirty work, but I I learned from that, that, okay, that opens for me and that opens for me a, a new um, a whole world of using logic and using data in order to start to think of biology and to think of solving problems and from that point uh onwards i decided to uh to learn more myself the the field of bioinformatics and i use it in most of my in most stages of my research in my phd in my postdoc and you know now, now I'm, I'm I'm more teaching and doing research in the field of genomics of bioinformatics more than immunology the, which is the discipline that I suppose to to be. I uh, mean, I'm uh, um, be uh, immunologist. You know, I, I like immunology, but I think um, using the data and using um, um, uh, the the let's say the logical way. I would say computational biology is a logical way of putting the data and analyzing them to find patterns or association. In my opinion, this is the uh, the the easiest and the good way for the lazy people like me. i like I don't like to work with m- many data things. I think I mean, there ha- there are a huge amount of uh, resources and data that are available that that can answer many of our interesting questions. And I keep saying that uh, for for many of my colleagues who I met in many developing or underdeveloped countries that, look, we are very lucky now. We are very lucky because we have access to all the uh, genomic transcriptomics, epigenetic data, all kinds of data that are available. And uh, you know that now there are more and more data available and we have many tools and in case we don't like these tools, we can modify them or we can create our own tools. <clears throat> so it is the science of poor people. You know, I remember one day uh, they told me how you can define bioinformatics. I say it is the science of poor people because you can you can publish. In, uh, I would say not first-rank journals like Science for Nature, but you can publish in prestigious journals with uh, good reputation. Uh, without having any funding, just doing bioinformatics in your kitchen. You know, I I remember one of my friends from Barcelona, she works now in the hospital clinic, she say, how you could publish this this work? It was published in vaccine, uh, journal vaccine, and it is, uh, I think, impact factor like four or five. I mean, I couldn't, I, I didn't find any funding. I mean, I, I had no one euro for for that paper. And everything was completed using the data that is available online and the tools that are were also available online. But you know you have to start with with uh, with a good question, with a solid question, and you have to find the the appropriate data and and to work on that. So um, this is the um, this is the journey with the with the bioinformatics. So. I, I love it. I love it because it it, uh, it uh, fulfills my laziness deserve.
1: Uh, we also know that you led a, a certain initiative with Korea regarding bioinformatics in the West Bank. Can you tell us about it?
0: Oh, with the, with the South Korean, uh, the initiative was not about bioinformatics. It was... Um, uh, establishing a new a new uh, let's say, research center. Um, two thousand twelve we had a visit from the Korean representative to our university and And when I was explaining to him what i'm I was doing, and he he asked me one question, why you don't go to Europe to work if you have a Spanish uh, citizenship? Why you don't go to work to Spain? Barcelona is a very nice place. I say Barcelona is a wonderful city. I love it. But I love to also serve and work here in my, in Palestine and to serve the people here. You say, what do you want to do here? I said, my dream is to have not a small lab. I, I, I like to have big, let's say, uh, not a big, um, uh, some, some, let's say more space for research and to have more people who can join. And, you know, there are many young Palestinians who are uh, outside and. And I just said this, and I thought that the discussion is uh, finished and was uh, finished. And after a few after a few weeks, uh, uh, I got an email from the guy. He said, "I'm coming back to visit you." And when he came back, he said, "Okay, now do you have any uh, any idea about your? Uh, do you have any proposal about your idea?" I say, okay, give me two days and I will prepare a proposal. He say, okay, don't prepare it just for a few equipments. Prepare something that we can make a building and it will be a, a building for a small building. It was not a very big building for research in uh, field of biotechnology and and it will be it will be named uh, Palestine-Korea Biotechnology Center. And um, we, were, we were very lucky that the Korean government accepted the idea and... Uh, we had a uh, small research center. It is not like big in, in European countries, it's a very small size, but you know, uh, with this center, we could now have, we, can, we, not, we could bring two other, let's say, um, uh, leaders in the field of uh, biotechnology, one in the field of virology and other in the field of uh, plant, uh, plant genetics, you know, and uh, we could establish a new master program Jointly with another Palestinian university, and uh, we are very happy now that uh, within the last these, I mean, eight years, we have um, many of our students. They got uh, into uh, um, important positions in hospitals or in different ministries, and they are now uh, trying to integrate, translate what they learn to their daily work in in molecular diagnosis or in. Offering services and some of them, they decided to continue their studies and doing PhD right now I have. Um, my students, I have six students who are doing PhD two in Korea, one in United States, two in Germany. Uh, and I have one who she she um, she had and she's from Jerusalem, so she has an Israeli uh, permission and she works in an Israeli university so you you know it's uh it's very good when when you see your students are growing when you see that the uh the small seedlings that you started as an idea with a group of people who you share with them this this dream is is uh come true i mean um and I feel very lucky that now the students uh, are are coming with new ideas and new, new initiatives, uh, not only in our university, but in other places in Palestine. And you know, I, I keep saying that uh, 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 there are three things that I never get, I feel I never feel jealous of them when they become bigger and and you know yeah, we in, in in the field of research usually we are jealous with each other as colleagues no way no way we we usually but three things in my life i never feel uh, or i never feel jealous with them if they get uh, if they get bigger if they get more important my kids my trees and my students <laughs> Because whenever you look to these three uh, uh, categories and they become bigger, you feel that they become bigger because you have some contribution in their uh, journey of success. So you never feel jealous with your trees when they are bigger or your kids. Uh, also your students, you feel you feel very proud when they become very important. One of my students now is... Uh, um he's working in one of the american united states company biotechnology and he's coming like a, one of the, the cto in, in that company so i really feel proud of this okay
1: okay uh you mentioned in, in the last question uh your students that you are very proud of and uh one of them is a cto now in the united states and this raises the question now Regarding the the current status of higher education, how accessible it is to students, how available it is how easy it is for students uh, in Palestine in general and especially in the West Bank and uh in this uh, uh, status what is the status of bioinformatics and uh, software development for uh biology and the uh, how much progress is now has now happened uh, in Palestinian universities since uh, you started in the eighties, where they were still in a very early
0: stage? Okay, this is uh, there are too many questions here, and uh, it's really uh, let me start with the last one. Uh, I would like just to briefly. Uh, Highlight some of the major stages in in the uh, uh, developmental journey of the palestinian universities in the 70s in the late 70s there were one university or two universities in, in palestine i mean when collectively i mean when we talk about palestine we talk about the west bank and gaza strip i mean the whole higher education system there were one or two universities but in the 90s in the 80s they were few more, but not but now we have uh, I mean after after ninety seven after the uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority uh, took at least the uh, the responsibility to uh, uh, for the administration of uh, several regions like in Gaza, like in several parts of West Bank, I mean like these small uh, regions. And uh, there is a new, I would say, uh, uh, regime, which is the Palestinian Authority, I mean, or the Palestinian state. But actually, the the administration was not like a a full state because when you say full state, it has to have full uh, uh, authority, full, um, I mean, uh, uh, independence of decision of travel and everything. But it was just like, group of administrative, let's say, duties to take care. But at that time, you know, the Palestinian uh, higher education uh, was uh, governed or was uh, uh, followed by the Ministry of Higher Education. So there were more flexibility in establishing new universities or colleges. And um, so we have now a range of, I think maybe, I don't remember exactly the number, but more than 15 universities uh, in, in both sides, in West Bank and Gaza Strip. We have several colleges, but this is the, I mean, the, this is uh, the, the the official status, but now regarding the, the real, let's say, uh, output of these universities and what the real, let's say, um, uh, obstacles that they are facing in the higher education and and are we are we happy with with what we have now i think all the palestinian universities they are facing uh similar um limitations the first one is that most of the universities because of the political situation are becoming like uh indigenous local universities you know when you say a university in 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 nablus I mean, I'm living in Hebron, which is the southern part of Palestine. So it's like 30 kilometers south to Jerusalem. And Nablus is 60 kilometers north of Jerusalem. You know that you, you almost rarely have one student who is coming from the north to, to to the south, or vice versa, in West Bank. And this is because of the political situation. I mean, when you divide the West Bank into small regions, and you close all these regions and you put like um, checkpoints everywhere to disconnect and to ensure that the these uh, regions are totally disconnected. So you are pushing all these universities to be like um, <clears throat> a university that is only um, the students who are um, living in, in that city will be the, the major, let's say, uh, I would say customers or let's say students who are visiting or attending this university and there will be like no connection. So we are becoming more and more like uh, closed with uh, uh, with no diversity inside the university at the level of the teachers or the academics or the level of the students. We rarely meet each other. You know, it's easier for me sometimes to make a collaboration project with somebody from outside because I go and travel and then having a, a, a collaboration with somebody from Jenin or from Nablus because, you know, I have to make a plan to to travel to Jenin, which is uh, only 100 kilometers away from me. And, you know, sometimes I cannot get there because it's closed. There are many checkpoints and because of, of the, let's say, a military decision taken by the Israeli uh, uh army that say okay now today we decide that this area or for the coming few days it's totally closed so uh, the life the 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 life of academics or the academicians or the life of university life needs freedom needs a lot of freedom not only in, in 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 the speech freedom in the thoughts freedom in expressing your ideas freedom in uh, in traveling and in mobility, I mean, and this is not this is not existing in Palestine. This is one of the factors that is that had affected the universities in a very uh, bad way. That the universities are becoming more and more uh, closed in a closed in confined environment with very uh, little diversity, <clears throat> and you know, this is not good for the health of any university. You know. The, the very health status is to let the university open to all to all people. I mean, to receive uh, academics from outside, to receive students. You know that we are, according to the Israeli law, we are, <clears> nowadays, <throat> we are not allowed to have uh, any scholar who wants to come and teach in Palestinian university. They are not allowed. You know, they have last, I think last year, they, they issued a new rule that restricted very much the the, uh uh, the possibility of any scholar or any foreign student to come to palestine to learn or to come to palestine to join in uh, teaching staff or and when i when i have some time from time to time i have you know before the uh the 7th of october i have several uh, occasions that i have friends coming to visit me i mean in collaboration mobility i mean i have with norway i have with germany uh, usually, I I tell my friends who are coming like a mission from Norway or from Germany or from or from United Kingdom. Okay, when you come to the uh, uh, Tel Aviv airport, don't say that you came as a scholar to stay for let's say one week to teach and to make it. Say that you are come. You came as a, a tourist and you would like to see Tel Aviv and Jerusalem and you like uh, to see the Israeli let's say suppose. If they know that you are coming to a Palestinian university, that will make you a, a big trouble, and that that might lead them to decide to let you go back. Yeah, and um, um, you know, last year I had one uh, French guy. She is from Tunisian origin, but she is a French uh, citizen. Uh, they let her wait in the airport for four hours, and she was insisting that. I came as a visitor as a tourist and uh, she say, they say no but you your name is is has an arabic origin and uh, for sure you she it seems that you have somebody in west bank that you are going to visit and you are and uh, you know it, it is uh, very difficult i mean so this is one of the aspects that the the development and the progress and the advancement of uh, the universities is facing is the the restrictions on the mobility, the mobility for the Palestinians themselves inside Palestine, inside the West Bank. I mean, we are not talking about Gaza. Gaza is a totally different story now. Gaza has, I mean, when we talk about Gaza now, we have to think not of the universities, we have to think of the survival, the daily survival there. But in West Bank, you know that since the 7th of October, all the Palestinian universities, they closed their uh, gates they close you cannot uh, go to the universities because uh, uh, and they most of most of them except maybe maybe one of them but all of them they shift to uh, online teaching and the reason is very simple all these universities they are inside uh, cities you know like in hebron we have two universities in ramallah we have uh Birzeit university which in Jerusalem nearby, not in Jerusalem, it's in the east part. We have one university in in Jenin, we have another. In Nablus, we have another, and they are inside the cities. And these cities, they are become like islands, totally disconnected from their environment. You know, in Hebron, I have, for example, in one of my classes, five of my students, they are from villages around Hebron. And no one of them is able to come to university because the the city is closed. I mean, we have we have gates. It's like the gate of the uh uh sorry, it's like the gate for the zoo. I mean, we are like in big cages. And uh, the decision to open or to close this is uh is not in our hands. And it's you know, sometimes they open it for two hours, three hours in the middle of the day. And sometimes when you have one of the soldiers who is uh, who uh, wants just to make some kind of actions like a revenge and he just closed it for three four hours, on the second day it may, might be open. I mean, it's like a, there is no rule and uh, when you think of, for example, in my university uh, more than 60% of the students, they have to come from the periphery of the city. They are not living inside, they are living in the villages. Villages that there are 10, 15 kilometers and all of them they have to come through two major entrances of the city and these entrances are closed with uh with big metal doors i mean you know and inside the city many of the places are also closed with doors like cages and you know i i remember one of my friends from norway from Turnheim, from continue uh, the norwegian university for science and technology they came to visit me last year and when they see the doors and the cages and all these fences and they, they were, uh, they were, uh, surprised. And they say, we, we couldn't imagine that you are living in such a strange situation. Say so we, we came accustomed and we learned how to adapt and to survive. But, you know, when you look at, when you look at this problem from outside, uh, you, you can, you can imagine and you can, uh, Tell, you can believe how much difficult it is to manage the the process of education for the at the university level I mean the higher education because the higher education has to be like open you have a lot of communication many of the students they have to come from different places and even the teachers so during the last four months we had all the teaching took place online and now <clears throat> by the beginning of February we have a new semester. Which is the uh, spring semester now? Our university invented a new <clears throat> style of learning. It's not online and it's not face to face. It's called hybrid or blended learning. So <clears throat> uh, we have to teach inside the class. Those those who are able to come to the city, they 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 go to the city to the to the university, and there are let's say. 20, 30% of the teachers of the academics, they cannot come, so they they teach from their homes. But those who are able to come, I'm, I'm, I live in the city inside, so I can go to the university. But you know, this semester, it's not online, so I have to go. And in case they have, for example, 30 students and only I have 10 of them attending, so I have to give them the lecture, but at the same time, I have to find the tools to open the lecture online for the rest of the students who are not there. And this is, you know, a very uh, difficult process to, I mean, to, to be sure that you are giving the same attention to the both categories, those who are in front of you and those who are in front of their laptops. And, you know, the other difficult situation is that not all of them, they are able to buy laptops. Some of them, they have uh, their families, they they decided to sell some of their, let's say, lands or some of their, let's say, precious things in order to pay the tuitions for the students in order to let them study. And now, because of the situation, they have to take care of their, let's say, uh, internet connections, laptop, and they have their extra, um, I mean, extra expenses of the life. and. This is making some of these students, I mean, deciding to stop their studies. I mean, we have, uh, I don't know exactly the percentage, but this year, I mean, we have been in a meeting like uh, two weeks ago, and there is a serious problem that uh, a certain percentage of the students, maybe 15 to 20, they, they decided to quit learning. They decided to quit the university at all because it is, uh uh i mean it is uh non-profitable to them i mean because i mean not profitable i mean it's not visible because they they have and they have to 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 keep the money for their families to live and you know with the current situation many of the uh palestinian workers are not able to go to work especially when in the previous uh, before the 7th of october they were working uh in the israeli working market i mean in, in the, especially in the construction and in the agriculture and now everything is closed so this adds uh again another uh uh burden on, on the shoulder of these families so they 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 have to they have to save the little amount of money that they have for their daily life and not for paying for their uh, kids and for daughters and sons to, to study so we are really very sad that we have when some of, I mean, in my case, I have some of my very, very brilliant uh, uh, students. They decided to quit. They decided to stop. I have one girl that I I was thinking, I mean, I was believing that she will she will continue her studies and will be a very good scientist, but suddenly she came and she said, I'm really so sorry, but the money that I will be although the tuitions in Palestine is very not very high. It's not like in United States or UK. It's I mean the the annual tuition for, for the semester tuition for um, a master's student or for, let's say for a BSc students is almost uh, six hundred euros the semester but they have to pay the tuitions and they have to pay the travel every day to the university. And with these restrictions of movement, they have several sometimes to go and make a lot of bypasses, and you know, cut the, and do a long journey in order to get into the city through some of the let's say rural, rural uh, uh, streets and some very funny way to get into the city. I mean, like it's like an, an adventure. Coming to the university every day, it's like a real adventure for some of these students, and they have to pay a lot. So she say i'm sorry i cannot continue i have to save this money for my brothers and sisters who are actually waiting at home to to have their uh, uh their day life to have to have food i mean i cannot uh, spend this on on education while my sister my family is waiting to buy every day their breads and their uh, basic foods so you can imagine these kinds of difficulties i mean apart from this the the difficulties in in running your uh, your research projects or research um, labs i mean now in the last 4 months i mean we were we are almost unable to run many of our let's say experiments either because of the lack of personnel staff who can come and work or the students and the second point is that when whenever you need some let's say uh uh Consumables or kits, and these kits, they you have to buy them through the uh, uh, mediators who buy either from the Israeli market or from from Europe or United States, but they have to come through through the Tel Aviv airport or through the Israeli customs, and uh, you know, so you again you are controlled by the other side. I mean, if they if they decided not to uh, uh, to communicate or to sell to the Palestinian market or To provide provide it with the needed uh, let's say consumables for kids uh, you cannot you cannot do it i mean uh, imagine that this happens to hospitals sometimes i mean in hospitals also you are your daily or your weekly schedule of critical work like uh, dialysis of patients with kidney dialysis or they are totally dependent on the uh, availability of these basic materials um, well they are now available with some limitation but you can imagine that at any moment they they might decide okay we will not provide we will not let uh, these material get access to your hospital so again I mean this is what happens in the other side in Gaza so what we learn during this time is how to survive under this very difficult conditions with uh, with um, uh the problem of uh mobility accessibility the university the research projects i mean they have to be you have to have plan b you have to have plan c you have to start thinking of you know i'm lucky in in this uh, special i mean the topic of the research i'm lucky because i still can do some of the work by uh, online and i'm lucky still because i have still i have my laptop and i have place where I can sit and it's. I'm not in uh, in outside in the streets or I don't have laptop, I don't have connections, but uh, you can imagine the situation in, in Gaza. But now I'm lucky because I can do some uh, data analysis and bioinformatic analysis and continue my work. But uh, many of my colleagues who are doing experimental work, work that needs field studies, they cannot do this. They cannot do this because they don't have mobility. They don't have access to uh, the resources. They cannot buy these resources and they um, they are suffering. We are all suffering, but, you know, we have to learn how to adapt and how to, uh, to do our best. And I think uh, the most important thing here is uh, to learn how to survive and... Uh, and to convey the message for the, the, the society that we have to be strong enough because we have a message for our people. We 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 simply would like to live. We would like to live like the rest of the people.
1: Pressure makes diamond, like if there is any consolidation in, in saying this, but I'm I'm really sorry that this, this is the situation and this is how how things work and this is how people feel. And... I, mean,
0: I mean, this is the situation in a, in a place that still has, let's say, I would say, acceptable conditions of living in West Bank. I mean, uh, uh, imagine the, the situation in Gaza. It is a disaster. It's a total disaster. I mean, I cannot imagine uh, how they are living there.
1: And as you said in at the beginning, I don't think correct me if i'm wrong i don't think that now there is any academic activities in gaza it's only survival activities
0: oh no no i mean there are most of the uh, higher education uh, organization they were bombarded so they most of most of them they are do not exist anymore like uh, physical buildings and. No communications. No, and many of the. I mean, uh, I know few of my colleagues who I sometimes meet through Zoom through some of the online meetings from Gaza. Uh, unfortunately, we we lost them in this war. They passed away. Uh, I know some of them from from let's say fields related to what, what I do, but,
1: teachers uh, and universities.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many of the university professors and uh, academics. They they. I mean, they, these uh, <clears throat> bombs—they—they they don't have—they uh, don't know—they don't know, they don't know uh, specific targets. They are just killing everything in front of in front of uh, when they face the the building. So, I lost some of my very good colleagues who I know. I mean, I, I've never met them face to face. By the way, you know, I usually meet my colleagues in Spain every year when i go to visit spain through jordan i know some people from gaza i believe that they are uh, friends and colleagues and but i only meet them through zoom sometimes they ask me for something in bioinformatics and you know i'm trying to help here and there you know especially through my youtube channel because they are attending some of the lectures but uh, you know unfortunately now uh, when you think of, of the situation in Gaza, I, I just think of. I hope that they will just survive and they will they will pass this difficult uh, stage of their life of history. Uh, um,
1: before the seventh of October. sorry, you're saying. I
0: you know I say I hope that they will pass this very difficult stage of their history as soon as possible. And this war we all. War
1: we all hope so, and uh, the general consensus that we have. And we are always calling for, asking for, wishing for a ceasefire at, at uh, the earliest. Uh, regarding this, you said you have never met them before. Even before the 7th of October, it was difficult to go to Gaza if you are from the West Bank or the other way around?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you can imagine that for me, I, I when i go to teach in barcelona they they ask me the same question i say it's barcelona is much closer i mean not physically but in terms of accessibility it's much closer for me if i go through the jordan uh than gaza gaza it was like a dream you know uh, it's uh totally like uh, separated with a lot of you know fences and, and you have to go you to go to gaza from west bank you have to to cross some uh, Israeli um, uh, regions. And in order to get to Israel, first of all, you have to have the permission to get to Israel. And then you have to have another permission to cross the from the Israelis' uh, territories to the Palestinian, to Gaza. And this is another permission. By the way, we have permission for everything in the life. We have permission to go from one place to another, to get to Jerusalem, to go to the hospital, especially when it comes to go to the, uh, let's say Jerusalem and other, Places in Israel, you have to have permission. Uh, permission, everything. I mean, uh, our life is filled of different types of permissions, and you know, Palestinians are very good in in organizing their way of uh, asking for these permissions and trying to help them each other. To oh, you have to, you have to go for this place to ask for permission. A, B, C, and
1: okay. Uh, we had a brief pause from. Uh... Uh, yesterday, and we're continuing in the morning, as you see in the change in the sunlight. Uh, after Zoom closed the meeting, we stopped at uh, how can we help in the CRG, the Therikhi, and uh, on, the, on an institute level and on an individual level as people living there, What how can we help?
0: Well, this is a very interesting question, and uh, actually... Uh, I keep uh, uh, having the same the same uh, receiving the same question from many of my colleagues in in Europe and the United States how we can help. Um, first of all, let me address my answer to to the general audience because there are those who are asking you how we how we can help are actually. Uh, in a very advanced stage of of feeling the responsibility as human. I really appreciate this very uh, uh, honest and sincere and humanitarian way of thinking of the others. So I would like to thank all of those who are thinking of us and thinking how they can help us. But let me, before this, try to uh, address the uh, uh, few points to those who are still hesitant what to do i mean uh in front of this conflict um you know in th- this last uh episode of of the palestinian israeli conflict is uh has influenced many many of the uh societies in, in the world and specifically in united states and europe and uh, i think now the uh Uh, There are many ways of learning about this conflict and uh, taking, I mean, uh, some decisions and and, uh, taking some position for this. First of all, I'm not here to to play the role of uh, uh, defending, but uh, as a human being, and as we all learn that human beings, they all have, as I said before, 46 chromosomes. This is the most important thing. We are all equal and we have to judge based on this uh, equity of between human beings regardless of the the color of their skins the religion the sex or the ethnic group and so on we have to be honest with ourselves when we have to take a position in this conflict we have to to be honest with ourselves it's very important to uh, to listen to the to the uh, people and not to um uh, just uh um be hacked or or be engineered by the major media uh let's say uh industry you know the media industry in the last 40 or 50 years uh was actually or still is is being uh, governed by the mega let's say players who uh, who are re-engineering our brains in and especially in the west and um, we every time we discover after a while that uh, what they are telling us about the, the the conflicts around the world, not only with the Palestinian-Israel conflict, is is full of uh, misleading information and misleading concepts. And most of uh, this kind of attitude by these uh, major media players was to serve uh, the, the the agenda for many political let's say parties or politicians or administration so i'm pretty sure that as academics and researcher we uh, we are let's say the, the 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 most capable people of making rational judgment and being honest with ourselves and be- building our thoughts and decisions based on evidence and not based on uh, influenced by media that no, we don't know if it's really actually trying to mislead us or trying to be fair. Because in many cases there is a uh, bias in, in the way this conflict has been covered in the last uh, decades. So first, the first point, before you think of helping people in Palestine, I think you, we have to help ourselves. Especially, I'm, I'm talking to the people in in Europe, uh, in CRG, I am really, I really admire very much the way you are, uh, uh, the, the researcher and the students, the staff in the CRG are, uh, looking and and dealing with conflicts like the conflicts in Ukraine and this one, and they are trying to uh, to extend their hands and trying to to be positive, and trying to be humanitarian, which is something we I really very much appreciate, and all the people not only the palestinians are appreciating this uh uh distinguished attitude but the first important point is we as human beings we have to think and we have to judge based on evidence and we have to be honest with ourselves it is not recommended at all and to uh to uh, to have all our, our judgment based on a pre pre uh, computed or pre uh, let's say uh, defined rules and concepts that has been built through the, the these mega uh, players in the media for the last uh, 40 or 50 years that they try to put let's say like general rules. most of these rules are based on on false uh, uh, information and they are serving agenda of, of uh, politicians. Uh, the next step after after you have decided to, to know, to listen, and to be honest, and to give your your decision how to support uh, this conflict. I mean, when I say here to be honest and to be honest on both sides, I mean, uh, we have to be human beings. We have to be 40, 46 chromosomes, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, in the, I mean, uh, humans and uh, it is it is um totally uh uh i would say uh unacceptable to uh judge other group of people based on their race based on their color based on their sex based on their ethnicity please be honest with yourself second step once you once you this once you have this uh you pass this stage um how to help palestinian right now i mean right now we we want to survive we want to survive we want to live like the rest of the world and uh, uh that's the most important thing i think there are many uh problems that we need to to take care of before we we could go back or we could come back to our let's say uh daily life and to to start thinking again of how we can sustain the development that we have started in the last 20 years so i think there are um, many things that we can do together with the crg like um, collaboration in research collaboration in teaching training and also exchange of students Uh, we have uh, we are also having here a group of um, students who are really of very good quality who are uh we would be very interested to to, uh, to continue their studies in, uh, in places like CRG, which is uh, uh, distinguished, and suited not only in Europe, but also in the world. So there are many things that we can think, but this, is, this comes like a second stage.
1: Thank you very much. And it's very assuring to know that despite all the hardship, all the circumstances that Palestinian students have now, you still have students who are qualified and capable of doing uh this high level of research now so let's hope that this uh, is a beginning of a collaboration and thank you very much for for letting us know about this
0: um, i mean just one one point i would like here to uh um, highlight that the um one of the major, let's say, uh, natural resources that Pal- Palestine is very rich with is not petroleum, is not the gas, is not the, it's not gold, is the the young generation. We have young generation that they are full of energy, they are highly motivated. They and this, still, I think this is one of the most important features that I have seen in the Palestinian. You know, and I can judge a little bit. Like somebody who is looking from outside, because I have been teaching in, in several places in the world, like in Turkey, in Spain. I have been working some for some time in Italy, and I also did work for some time in Israeli universities. What is so uh, unique with the Palestinian students is that uh, uh, they are highly motivated. They are highly independent in 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 when it comes to solving the problems. You know, problem problem solving in, is one of the most critical features of, of these uh, students. And maybe this is because of our daily life here. Life is full of problems, obstacles, uh, checkpoints. So I think we have, with time, we have developed, we have evolved in a way that we, we have learned how to solve problems every day. And we have to make like uh, bypasses, I mean, you know, when when my students are telling me how they come to the university, uh, I don't know how to cry or to laugh because sometimes they they tell me very strange story. It's like you know they they can make small uh, movies for Hollywood for this. How they come? They have to make adventure. They have to go through the mountains, and sometimes they have to hide. They have to pretend that they are going to. So uh, both with a with with a patient, and you know th- there are a lot of interesting stories, and this has. Haunt uh, the Palestinians with many skills to, to solve a problem. I mean, and they are ready every day. The default is to have problems to, to solve them. You know, when you live uh, in another country, the default is to have standard life, life that is easy to uh, to, to work. I mean, everything is is uh, solved for you. You have the system, you have the transportation. No, here in Palestine, the default is you have to start your day with problems. With problems of closure, with problems of how to make uh, financial management for your month, problem of how to transport of health. So you have you have to be clever and smart enough to to solve all these problems and to be independent and to work in a team. And this is another important. The Palestinians they are very nice when it comes to uh to work in a team they are not people who are actually they don't like to work with others and they they like to work uh, separately uh <clears throat> talking about the teamwork here i think that the one of the interesting features of the palestinian students is that they are friendly they they like to to work with uh, international team and uh, <clears throat> And that's it. I mean, um, th- these are these are these are the, uh, the, the the main features of the Palestinian students, and I I think I, there are some of them. Some of my students are doing very well in, in different uh, European universities and the U.S. And hopefully, one day, we have of our students, Palestinian students, who can uh, continue their studies uh, at CRG.
1: And technically, you think they have uh, adequate skills
0: yes yes yeah yeah i mean uh, when it comes to the uh, to the domain of uh, uh let's say modern biomedical sciences you know especially these days uh, the most important let's say competences and skills in biomedical sciences is the capability to uh, deal with uh, data analyzing data and trying and uh, trying to have let's say uh, uh some statistical skills i think we we have uh, we have students who have get enough education in the field of genetics genomics uh um, data analysis programming in different languages like r or python and you know i was astonished by some of my students who attended a mobility uh, program in norway uh, last year Uh, they've been for three months there and they they did a good part of their master thesis. They're doing uh, work on. They le- they learn by themselves very quickly in three months R, and they start using some of the programs for meta uh, analysis, Mendelian randomization. So you know, the and this is a feature of most of the young generation in the world. I mean, the the ambition of the young generation that uh, that uh, are um uh, they 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 grow with with the uh, <clears throat> with the ambition of of being close to the uh uh the media the the uh i mean the the uh, modern way of dealing with with how to get data and how to analyze data and how to benefit from data and from the digital let's say uh tools that are available to them so i think this is part of the big uh, transformation that happened in the last 20 years to the to the new generation, not only in Palestine, but all over the world.
1: Uh, that's very assuring to know. And uh, as I said, I hope this is a beginning of some collaboration. We will try to uh, start this line of collaboration and hope for the best. So uh, thank you very much for being with us. And if you would like to add anything before we uh, end this conversation.
0: Uh, first of all, I and mean, I would like to thank you so much for for uh, this invitation, for this kind of invitation, and for giving me this opportunity to to talk to the people at the CRG, the um <laughs> uh, I I'm, I always feel very uh, very happy to, and very glad to talk to my friends and colleagues here uh barcelona uh the lovely city the lovely place that i all the time feel uh, it's like my second home and um, i would like to thank all the staff at crg, CRG and the researcher the academicians and the students and uh, it's really um uh, one of the most amazing achievements that uh, Barcelona did in the in the last three decades, the CRG and the establishment of uh, CRG and also other multidisciplinary and modern research institutes that uh, all the all the uh, uh, people in Barcelona and Catalonia should be proud of because they are actually. Uh, uh, an iconic research institute in not only in Europe, but also in the world. And the most important thing in, in these institutes, which is something that I really have to say as somebody who has been in Barcelona since the early, let's say, 90s till now and visiting is the internationalization concept. I mean, <clears throat> in the old days, I remember when I came to Barcelona, most of the universities, they were Most of the students, they they were most of the staff were from from Spain, from Catalonia, and uh, most of the students as well. But uh, nowadays, you feel like in an international environment, and the internationalization of these institutes, like the CRG, like the the RB Barcelona, is is reflecting the uh, the modern. Uh, research Institute, and actually, this is something that uh, we have to learn from the approach that has been followed in this institute. I mean, the people in Barcelona are doing really great job and uh, amazing way of doing science, and, uh, and they they can be really a good example to the world to, to uh, how how to make not only a nice city for, uh, with a very beautiful streets and uh, places to visit, but and uh, also, a city with full of science and technology and, and uh, diversity and modern ideas and uh, a lot of uh, uh, good, let's say, uh, people who who wants to be like uh, um, helpful to the rest of the humanity. You know, Barcelona has been all the time one of the iconic city for the for the peace in the Mediterranean and for the uh prosperity and cooperation of all the countries in the Mediterranean. So uh long live Barça, Vesca Barça. Um, yeah, it's it's maybe it's the team, but actually when I, you know, the usual people here, they they told me which team you, you love. I say Barcelona, the city and the team, but actually I'm not a big fan of football, but I I still feel like uh, uh, Barcelona is one of the um, very good examples to to as a city and as a, a society to to learn from it. So thank you, thank you Barcelona.
1: Thank you very much for for giving us all this time and sharing all this with us. Uh, we are very grateful for for this information, for this knowledge, and to getting to know you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you. Till we meet again.
0: Hopefully, soon. Hopefully, we can meet face to face this year when I come to Barcelona.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I hope so.
0: Okay. Bye bye.